0: <laughs> Shoot me in
1: the <laughs> <Duke>. <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome to the digitally uploaded podcast. Uh we've been playing a lot of Tetris the last couple of nights or days and we're all going a little bit crazy from the Tetris music. But it is good music. So yeah, um I'm gonna put that away before I get yelled at for playing that a little bit more. Um but I'll introduce everybody who's on the podcast this week because there's a lot of people. I'm Matt. Uh and with me this week we have Ginny. Hello, Ginny.
0: Hi, Matt, how's it going?
1: I'm good. I'm liking Tetris. How are you liking Tetris?
0: Um, I'm not very good at it. So probably the least out of everyone here. Ah, <laughs> oh,
1: well, you just need to get good. Um, we've also <laughs> got with us this week Trent. Hello, Trent. Hello, uh, Matt. Quick question. We're doing a tour test. What day is it? It is Sunday. No, Saturday. Um, it's the weekend. I know because that gives me more time to play Tetris. And mm. we've also got Lee. Hello, Lee.
2: Hi. How's it going?
1: Good, good. You're obsessed with Tetris too, right?
2: I wouldn't say obsessed, but yeah, I'm very happy that it's here. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not upset at all.
1: Yes, Tetris is a... It, it was a happy happy surprise this week. Good on Nintendo. And we're going to talk about Nintendo a lot in the podcast this week, but good on Nintendo for doing the thing that nobody expected and actually giving us a Tetris Battle Royale, convincing me that Battle Royales actually have some kind of future and uh, you know, giving me more Tetris to play. And finally this week, we also have... Brad. Hello, Brad. Hello, Matt. Brad's not often on the podcast, but he's come on just because he's a Tetris fan. Isn't that right? Brad?
3: Absolutely. I wanted to I put Tetris 99 on last night and I wanted to, I thought I'll just have one round and I'll play something else. And it turned into a two hour Tetris fest. Yeah.
1: That's the, that's the dangerous thing about Tetris. Once you start, you can't stop. It's like a Pringle. All right, we're going to go to some music. We're going to go to some Hatsune Miku music because that's what we do on this podcast. But we'll come back and we'll have music from Tetris later on. And we'll actually start the podcast off by talking about everything that Nintendo announced this week because it was a big week for the company. Stay tuned and we'll be back soon. back everybody okay so you might have noticed we didn't do much of a news wrap at the start of the podcast uh this week that's because nintendo had a big direct and we want to talk a lot about the direct so we wanted to spend more time in the podcast talking about that um i think it's safe to say that everybody here really enjoyed that direct is there anybody that's uh i mean ginny might not have because ginny likes to be the contrarian around here but Um. (laughs) you liked it right it was a good direct
0: yeah, I did. I mean, I had used about Fire Emblem, which is all I really cared about.
1: Yeah, it, it looks so good, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, I've got my new favourite wife lined up, so.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting one because, um, I don't know, I got a sense that a lot of other people didn't dig it, and I don't know why. I get very confused by the response I saw on the Twitters following that announcement. Is it because it's become more anime-thing-like? It does seem like a very mm-hmm. anime-styled game this time around.
0: I think so. And I think the whole like changing, the whole change that we saw from the last gameplay footage, where it's like not just sort of one on one units and more about like commanders and squads, like Mm. sort of advanced war style, I think people are not liking that crossover per se. But who knows? People are saying that the whole like um, school of war, it was like anime, Harry Potter, medieval fantasy, and they didn't like that. And I'm like, what's not to like about that?
2: I was actually pretty hyped when I saw that. I, I know. That sounded awesome.
0: Exactly. And I'm not I, even a Fire Emblem
2: fan. I was just yeah. like, wow, this this actually looks weird. And I went, I went into the trailer thinking, man, I'm probably not going to like this. But then I saw how it was exactly like you said, like it's Harry Potter with, with the swords. Sweet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: So, but there's only three
2: houses.
0: Well, you know what? It would be hard to come up with like five sexy protagonists. So just breathes fine.
1: Is there a Twin Tales? I missed that if there is.
0: Uh, no twin tails. Um, oh,
1: booed! Well, that's it. Now I'm out. out Surely you
0: can change that. Well, the thing is, we've only seen the pro tags. Not, not who, not who can be recruited. So you could easily recruit twin tails.
1: Okay. Well, that's right then. Yeah. There you go. This, this is very important. And something Fire for
0: Emblem, everyone. <laughs> something
1: for everyone. Yeah, it looks pretty good. I mean, what about you, Brad? Are you keen on Fire Emblem? I know you're a pretty good Fire Emblem fan, but are you happy with the direction Nintendo's taking with this one?
3: Yeah, I'm. I'm really keen on this one, actually. Um, I was I was one of the people that didn't really get I've got the uh, 3DS games but I haven't actually had had time to sit down and play them because there's always been something else that I've wanted to go and check out. But um I think with the Switch game, um I really want to play it because I'm a I'm pretty much digging Edelgard so far and the mm, Black. Oh yeah. And I would really like to teach you some things. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm I about did... to give her detention.
3: <laughs>
1: I did see a little bit of commentary about that. People seem to be creeped out about the student teacher thing for some reason. But well, I don't I
0: think, don't think, they're, think they're, they're like meant to be like middle schoolers. Like obviously, they're killing each other on the battlefield. They're definitely of age to murder.
1: So yeah, I was going to say. I mean, isn't it more like university students than exactly? It looks like, like a, a war a college. Okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: it looks more like college than. I mean, I, I assume if you're skirmishing and killing a bunch of people in the while, you're not fourteen right this is not like a thing that you do as a teenager so i don't know to be fair games <laughs>
2: to be fair i discovered uh recently that roy from fire emblem is actually 15 in the game
0: oh god did you know that no
2: yeah he's actually 15.
0: oh like, my god Gets canon oh, no he's... wait how old's it Can...
1: dare i ask yeah. Should... i probably shouldn't be asking but that... uh,
3: no
0: don't
1: ask <laughs> it's probably best not to know um Okay, so what else about the Nintendo directed people like? I know you would have been right, up, right up about the Toad stuff, Ginny.
0: God, I saw it. And I just thought, just screw that. Like, just <laughs> what a waste of space. You know, it went on for like two and a half bloody minutes of Captain Toad nonsense. God, no one cares.
1: <laughs> oh, Ginny, Ginny, Ginny. This is like your worst take, you know, Captain
0: Toad. It is not is my worst take. Game. Captain Toad is a war criminal. <laughs> I've gone on about this at length previously, backed up by legislation, even. So I've got, I still have to say about Captain Toad and he can just rack off. Thank you. Very but now much.
4: it's got a partner, a partner in crime,
0: uh, which is even worse. She's aiding and abetting his traitorous ways.
1: You have very strong opinions about Captain Toad.
0: I do. <laughs> World's worst mushroom, but I digress. That's fine. Completely unnecessary addition to the Nintendo library is more Captain Toad, but a really great addition which I think is going to be off the chain, <laughs> pun, astral chain. Looks freaking amazing.
4: Is that the platinum one? Yes. Yeah, that looks pretty good. Even I like it, so it's going to be great.
0: There we go. Crime fighting. It's got futuristic cops. It's got freaking... It's been directed by Tagahisa Tora, who was a senior game designer on Near Automata, which is obviously the game that I love. And Hideki Kamiya is going to be involved as well. So why not? It looks amazing. The boss fight sample that they show was just incredible in terms of scale. I would say they just built on Nia's fundamentals and made it bigger and sexier. So yeah. Thank the dual,
2: dual mechanic looking combat system uh, looks looks pretty cool too. Um, but mm-hmm. I got to admit, I wasn't terribly hyped just watching the trailer. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah we, got, we got cops, robots, and futuristic. Uh, it just felt like we kind of seen that before, at least to me.
1: Hmm. That's fair enough. Well, it's we have a launch date for that. St- we, it's video games. We've seen everything a million times. I, I know
2: time. that's true. That's true. It's, <laughs> it's kind of hard. No, but <laughs> I, I, get,
1: I do get what you mean. Like I, um, I don't know. I, I liked it. I thought it looked pretty neat. Um, but platinum games in isolation has never been my thing, I guess. Mm, uh, I always enough. like when platinum games works with something that they've got. So for instance, you know, Nier Automata, um, They obviously had Yoko Taro to work with, and he was a pretty important part of the creative process. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, some of the other Platinum Games stuff I've really liked, for example, is the the Transformers game that they produced. Uh, Obviously, they had existing material to work with. I've never been such a massive fan of Platinum Games with its original stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Vanquish was okay, I guess. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'll wait and see, I think. I hope hope they produce something amazing. Um, I'm sure they've got the talent, but it just matter. It's just the creative side of things that there's a big question mark about because obviously this trailer didn't show us much in that that regard other than pretty cool police people. Um, What about you, Brad? What was your highlight of the show? Because there were a lot we've only started to talk about. There's
3: a lot of stuff to... I guess a lot of stuff to take in, but um, I don't think it's any secret that Link's Awakening was my favorite part of the direct. Um, I, I grew up on that game with my Game Boy, and that was one of my favorite games of all time. So I'm really, really excited for this one.
1: Yes, the best, the best Zelda game ever made. Don't at me, but it is. Um, yeah, I know. I, I'm, I, I'm not sold on the art style. <laughs> I must admit. Um, I don't know. So me,
3: it looks 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 really like the, They look like plastic toys and everything. But I saw a um, someone's recreated the trailer with the original game, and the color schemes look like they're just trying to match the Game Boy color color schemes. And I think it's interesting. I don't think it's for everyone's taste. I enjoy it, but um, yeah, it's certainly not something that everyone will, will dig. I don't think.
1: Because it's one of those games that people are like crazily nostalgic about too. Um, and whenever you get crazily nostalgic about something, um, anything that you do that perceives to, to mess with the base or what the original was is, is risky. Um, and I think Square Enix found that out when it did that remake, A Secret of Mana. And mm. that was yeah. terrible. And I just have this chilling vibe from this one that it looks like they've done something similar um the the art style is is scarily similar to what that secret of mana remake looked like so i don't know i
4: want it to be good because it would be amazing
3: mm.
4: i like the art style like every t- like some of the scenes just in the trailer because it was so fast paced looked a bit you know, you couldn't really absorb it, but the more stills, like when Link's talking to the owl and that sort of stuff, you can really see the detail on how it looks a little bit more like a clay or plastic style animation, so I really like that from the game, and plus the trees look really, really good, I tweeted even this looks like an Animal Crossing tree maybe the art style is going to be similar <laughs> like mm-hmm. it, they're, they're really, really, um, it really pops the colours as well, so I actually like the um, art style, that wasn't my complaint and the logo is also pretty cool uh, going towards the more japanese style um breath of the wild uh logo design rather than the retro design zelda had for logos
3: hmm. i hadn't actually noticed that trent That's it's a good
1: okay um what about what was that one that had a demo released as well um demon demon x machina yeah, yeah, that one. Has anyone tried that demo? Because I haven't. Yep. Um, I've heard sure things about it.
2: It was cool. Um, it's it, it. also is kind of a generic uh, sort of shooter mech type deal. You don't get a whole lot of um, uh, like mech stuffed equipment to, to toy with in the demo. Uh, but to be fair, I didn't get all that far. I just played the first mission just to get a feel for the controls. Um, I was most most interested in it because it reminded me a little bit of an old game called Zone of the Enders, which I think is uh, is on PC now. I don't know if I don't think it has a Switch release, but. Um, that was like that, that game only lasted like seven or eight hours, I think maybe maybe ten at a stretch. So I'm looking forward to the, uh, the final release of this one because it, it does have a pretty solid combat system. It takes a little getting used to, but it's pretty standard fair. you know you got you got two weapons, you got your your machine gun, you got missiles. Uh, you you fly around, you get a dash. It's kind of like if you play Dragon Ball's universe it's it's a little bit like the controls for that.
1: Ah, oh, well, that's a quick way of making me lose my interest. <laughs> um, yeah, Dragon Ball Zinovus, not definitely not my thing, um, as Jump Force has been. Oh,
2: dear. Okay, maybe just the movement, not, not like the, the actual combat. But the <laughs> oh, movement is. Oh,
1: dear, that game. We might talk about that game a bit later, but oh, dear, that game. Um, yeah, I don't know. Was that actually, is that an in- internal Nintendo project, or is it just they're publishing for third party? I don't know that much about it, to be honest.
2: DBX X Machina, I'm pretty sure that's third party, yeah
1: third party oh, okay because so there,
2: there there was a guy if you remember in the direct that was one of the guys from their their dev team that was that was talking about it
1: right right got gotcha. you yeah of course you're right um what else were highlights i really like the look of the d make of uh, dragon quest 11 mm-hmm. um that looks great to me i'm going to turn the nes 8-bit graphics mode as they called it oh yeah and I had a question about that. Yeah,
2: is that is that? Can you actually play throughout the whole game with that? Yeah. Or... Yep. Yeah. What the
1: entire game know. that way? Which is that's great. Cool. I'm going to turn that on as soon as I get that version of the game and um, not turn it back off again because that's really cool. I love that. Um, and I, I really like the look of it. It doesn't look eight bit by any means. It looks closer to <laughs> high res, thirty two bit sprite work. But it looks really good fun. Um, and it'll be a different way of playing Dragon Quest for people who've already done that what else um Final Fantasy 7 and 9 9's already on the switch and I've got it and I've played it and I must say um I really don't like the way that they've high-res the character models um because the backgrounds are still the old kind of fuzzy uh PlayStation backgrounds so there's that there's a kind of an ugly contrast happening but the game itself is great because it's Final Fantasy 9 um Final Fantasy 7 comes, what, March? March
2: 20?
0: I think it's the same as Zero Alive, so yeah, March.
1: Yeah, so March, which is good, uh, and of course, uh, Final Fantasy 8's not coming because Square Enix has lost the code for that game and can't find it, and this is the most annoying thing that ever happens in video games to me these days. Um, what else happened oh tetris <laughs> tetris tetris also came out so if you have if you've got a nintendo switch and you haven't downloaded tetris 99 yet uh you're a bit crazy so go and do it um and yeah that's a that is as the name suggests 99 player multiplayer online tetris it, nintendo's giving it away to for free to people who have subscribed to the online service and as listeners will remember I think it was about a week or two ago we were talking about how bad that online service is because all it does is offer NES games well it offers something a little bit more now and um, I think that's a really good way of uh, selling the subscription service because it really is that good Um, I don't didn't realize I wanted 99 player Tetris until I actually (laughs) know no one (laughs) (laughs) did and it's it is really good it is just it's going to be a game I play for a very long time I imagine Um, Yeah,
2: and and you heard me say at the start, I'm not upset about that because, like, it seemed like a lot. At least at first, I was like, oh my God, they're giving us like a Tetris. Seriously? Tetris Battle Royale. But then you play it and it's like, oh, oh, this is actually really cool.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's just something. I didn't know I wanted this. Yeah, exactly. It's just something you can't imagine would work until you actually play it. And it works. It really, really works. Oh, and I just realized we haven't even mentioned Rune Factory. That's how good this Switch um, Director was. Yeah. rune factory the rpg uh, harvest moon crossover where you farm and kill stuff in equal measures uh is actually coming back which <laughs> surprised a lot of people because the developer went bust and everyone assumed that that was the end of harvest moon but it's it's back not just with a remake of the last one but also with an all new one which is really neat i assume you're a fan of harvest moon ginny yes I mean, the harvest moon rune factory
0: I have any game that allows me to simulate like a reasonably peaceful life. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that one was on my, on my radar for sure. Um, And it'll be really nice to have it on the switch. I think like I played the ever loving life out of the 3ds one. And I really liked how they've changed the aesthetic from from I suppose the harvest moon esque style from before to what it is now. So I'm very keen. Can't wait.
1: Yeah. So, I think, was there anything else that I've missed? Yes. In- Yoshi. There's
2: Yoshi. One- oh, yeah, Yoshi. Yoshi's Crafted World. I, had, I played the demo for that, too. That was, that was okay. It was super easy. Um, but I kind of figured it was going to be. It's just, you know, the introductory level or whatever. Um, but the controls seem pretty, you know, it seems tight. You can, like, fire at stuff in the foreground and the background, and it does it automatically. Um, it's, it's just, it just is what it is. It, it didn't really wow me. My attention too much, but there was one thing that I wanted to point out about the um, my my pick from the the direct. Apart from Mario Maker two, because that one's kind of oh, obvious. Um,
1: yes, Mario Maker. Jeez. Now
2: you you mentioned the the uh, what is it? Little bits of nostalgia in there. Now when they announced Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. I'm a huge fan oh, of Castlevania, yeah. Symphony of the Night. Uh, and that was the title alone was a not so subtle nod. Obviously, like the first game that they made was another Castlevania sort of ripoff, you could call it. You'd call it that, but it's more like paying homage. But there was one little piece in the in the direct where um there was there was uh, someone sitting in a chair and someone under them like popped them up. And there's a there's a there's a part in Castlevania Symphony of the Night, like right after you get the gravity boots, you can knock up the, the merchant and he drops like a, a library card or something. And as soon as I saw that, I went. I went berserk. I was like, oh my God, that is that that tiny little nod. That was all I needed. I'm getting that game for sure.
1: (laughs) So yeah, for people who haven't been following along with that one, that is actually the creation of the guy that invented Castlevania. Um, Oh, is it? I didn't... Yeah, since gone independent, that was a big success on Kickstarter and has been delayed forever and a day. Unlike um, Mighty Number Whatever It Was, (laughs) which was a catastrophe for um the Mega Man dude this one actually looks pretty good and certainly the little one that they released as a taste teaser um taste about a year ago now was was decent so this this should be good that would be a nice thing for people who are fans of Castlevania that's for sure
2: well people liked the first one the 2d one I was surprised to see that there's uh, that this one's like full 3d and and fleshed out models and such
1: yeah it should so. be good it should be good Alright, I think that does wrap up pretty much everything. No,
2: we've we forgot the best game.
1: Did
4: we? What was that, Trent? Onikani. Oh uh, wait. Uh, Oni N- naki or whatever it's called. <laughs> oh yes. Tokyo You know how we I mean, butcher Japanese words, like come on.
1: <laughs> to- Tokyo RPG factory, yes. So the developer behind I am Setsuna and, and Lost Sphere. Lost Sphere, that's it. I was I was actually gonna forget the name of her, Ginny. That's um that's mm-hmm. how bad I was that's how bad my memory was of that. But it was actually a good game. I'm not saying it was, and I just forgot the name of it. Um, but they're back, and they've created this, well, they're in the process of making this one. This one is not a turn-based RPG, unlike the last two. This is a, going to be an action one. So, yeah, it should be good. I imagine it'll be um, very nostalgic, as all it, of their... It looked a little
2: are. Secret of Mana-esque to me.
1: Yeah, and it actually has the... doesn't have one of the major creatives on of Chrono Trigger on it. Didn't he join the team for this mm-hmm. one? Uh-huh. I think I think he did. I'm pretty sure I read that. So it's got heritage behind it. It'll be good. Uh, and Tokyo RPG Factory is—they're—they're um, they're one of those developers you just want to see, see succeed because they're—they're they're doing nice things, very nice things. All right. So we're going to go to some music. We're going to use Tetris music now, and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about something very different: uh, open worlds. and welcome back. Okay, let's talk about open world games and more specifically how much they suck. <laughs>
0: <You> mean-
3: <laughs>
0: okay, all right. Let's just let's get one thing clear. I am not someone who is anti open world games. All right? I'm not anti open world games, but Far Cry. <laughs> it 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 really it really depends on 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 the way that the On the way that the open world approach is used like it's one thing to have a completely bare open world for exploration that feels lived in and another thing to just have open world environments filled with trash that contribute to nothing (laughs) like it's and it's it's one thing to use it for environmental storytelling which is great and good and tough to implement but has a great payoff and another thing just fill it with content and Unfortunately, um, as is the trend with lots of Ubisoft games, Far Cry New Dawn is full of content. <laughs> it's a
1: very <laughs> not, content game. It is a very and not so
0: much full game. of storytelling. So just as a whole, I, I feel like the map, the open world, quote unquote, map for this game is smaller than the last Far Cry, um, and most of it is really just more of the same. The open world is filled with enemy outposts, you know, treasure to find, loot to find, and Companions to help you kill things better with, and that's really what the world is is filled with. There's not a lot of organic exploration that you need to do. Like with every Ubisoft game, there's markers peppered throughout the world that tell you exactly what to do with who. So, I think an open world game is really only good when you can actually explore when you're incentivized to explore. I don't know if New Dawn does that though. Like that's my main I, I gripe question. with open world games. Hmm.
2: In Far Cry, and this is more of a general question, because I'm remembering my experience that I had with Mad Max, another open-world game. And my question is, even though you go to these different places, there's a lot of variety, does it feel different when you go to these different places, like these different encampments? Or does it just kind of feel samey?
0: Well, the the, the problem there, I think, is the reason why it feels samey is intentional design choice. Like, for those that don't really know, I guess, the background of the game, Far Cry New Dawn is a is set in the same place as far cry five so it's a direct continuation i suppose of the previous game whereas before they were just randomly scattered across the world in different timelines and whatnot it's a direct follow-on from far cry five so if you recognize the landmarks from far cry five they might mean something to you but otherwise it's just basically like a reskin of the old map used for the game like down to some of the music even being the same so I think the design choice to make it look thematically similar from location to location is just meant to benefit those who played the old game because you're meant to look at this new product and go, right, you know, the whole landscape of Hope County has changed since Far Cry 5 and that's how this has been changed and it's been changed constantly and continuously in this particular way. Um, And so that design choice to make outposts and encampments very similar is deliberate. But I think if you haven't played Far Cry 5, then that nuance is lost on you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I, the one thing I will say, at least Far Cry was designed to be an open world game from the start. Um, and mm. kind of that is the point of it, um, mm. which is my way of going into my commentary about the open world game I've been playing this week or have played this week. And that was Metro um, Exodus, which mm. really, really annoys me and kind of it's it speaks to an issue that i've had with so much of triple a stuff um especially the last generation where this idea that games need to be open world or whatever because that's what game triple a games are it's just running rampant like for metro the original metro which was based quite effectively on the book um was quite linear and quite tight in terms of how much you you had room to move around but because it was a stealth-based game so you needed to be able to find paths through through levels but it was a it was a linear confined experience within the you know uh, the underground of the Russian metro system which is where the book was based and the whole story was about that kind of sense of claustrophobia and um you know Everything being quite enclosed and you're in tunnels and all of that was actually part of the the setting, the atmospherics, the storytelling, everything in the book. And I felt the original game did a good job of capturing that. And then for some reason, Metro Exodus, which now has to be an open world, um, uh, has to be a A blockbuster open world game, gets rid of all of that because now you're in one of those large spaces and you can go in any direction and... It doesn't feel like the developers have any understanding of uh what made the book great and because there isn't that sense of understanding about what made the book great the game itself feels very generic um it doesn't have the icon problem that ubisoft's games have it doesn't have you know a thousand pieces of paper floating around in the the sky to chase down it's a little bit more um focused than that but even still having two or three different directions to go and you've got all that downtime as you walk or travel from one spot to the next, and you come across random things along the way, like enemies to fight and stuff. None of that feels like um, like Metro the book, and that just, that just annoys me. The best parts of Metro Exodus are those small moments where you actually do get into a more confined space and have to explore it as you would with the previous metro games and that comes across too infrequently for me so i got a lot of hate for not liking metro but screw it all i'm right and everybody else who liked it is wrong frankly um but yeah what what about everybody the other people on the podcast this week what are your thoughts about open world games uh, i know you have probably haven't been playing far cry and or metro but you've everybody's been playing open world games over the last yeah. generation what's For you i mean is the genre itself an issue um or what kind of what defines a good open world game if you like the genre
2: well you you and jenny actually kind of hit both the points um that into one that i wanted to make um i think the best open world games are the ones that aren't actually open world they they call themselves open world but they're secretly linear in the sense that I'm, I've been playing Hollow Knight this week, right? Um, which, by the way, new, new whole game coming out, Silk Song. It's not an expansion. It's a whole new game. They announced it right after the, uh, the direct. But um, in Hollow Knight, it feels like it's, it's an open world, right? But you come to these places where you're effectively blocked off, same way you do in Zelda, same way you do in Metroid, same way you do in Castlevania, um, until you find what, whatever you need to get past. Um, so you have to find, you have to go find that first, and then, and then you go back there, and you have to remember, and you say, "Aha! Now I remember seeing this blue door, and I have this key, or I have this this thing that says it goes into the slot, so I can I can go back." Um, and it it feels like an open world, but it really it really is more linear. Um, and I guess that that was kind of the the main point I wanted to get at is that there's still this direction. Um, but it feels like it's coming from yourself, but it really is just the game guiding you to, to where you need to go next.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, another good example of that is Dark Souls and Neo, mm-hmm. um, where you are actually, I mean, you feel, it feels open and the game creates that perception of openness and you do have room to explore and you have secrets to find and all that kind of stuff, which is great. But at the same time, the game does funnel you through, uh, an experience because otherwise you are kind of left out there on your own, you get lost and you waste time and pacing starts to become an issue and all that kind of stuff. And I think, yeah, the developer holding some kind of control over the order in which you experience things and the pace at which you do so is actually not something that we should be, um, discouraging in developers as open world games like Ubisoft tend to do, um, So, yeah, I I totally agree with you.
2: But I do like the feeling of them hiding it.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. (laughs) In in the sense that it feels like it's you, yeah. Yeah, you want to feel like the agency's on you to still explore. uh, Like in uh,
2: in Breath of the Wild, you can go straight to Ganondorf if you want. Or Ganon, whatever.
1: Yeah, Uh, Right right at the start. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a bad time. You can, I mean, uh, uh, Bloodborne, for example, is another example. You you can see off in the distance. There are all kinds of things that you know you can go and explore them at some point. Um, But getting there, you do need to follow a certain path which is which is good um i think that's a better way of doing things create the perception of openness but still have some authorial uh control over it what about you brad um i know you're right up into red dead redemption and that's probably the most popular example of a great open world game for people who like the genre um what about red dead redemption kind of sets it apart from lesser open world games in your opinion
3: um, so Red Dead Redemption, I know um, there's a few people on this podcast that probably aren't as big of fans of it as myself and Alan, who's sadly not here today. Um, <laughs> but um, I like Red Dead Redemption because I want to just touch on the point that Ginny made before when she was talking about worlds that feel like they're being lived in. Um, Red Dead Redemption is a game that doesn't have a map full of 2,000 icons for you to go and chase. It is, they'll, there's icons, of course, like, where the shops are, where the next mission is and things like that. But there's also, it's it's like a world that you can explore and go and find landmarks and just little Easter eggs. And um, it's just a world that, yeah, you can just explore if you feel like it. Like I was on Chapter 2 for probably about 30 hours just exploring the world, riding my horse around and trying to discover um, landmarks, gravestones, different kinds of animals things like that and i think that's something that breath of the wild does really well as well um except when you find the landmarks in breath of the wild they don't really pop up on your map it's more discovering what had happened while link was asleep where if you go to say um uh death mountain where near where the gorons live and you're traveling down the side of the volcano you see a couple of abandoned houses and you kind of just look around looking at these houses and you can just tell that something bad had happened there because there's a whole bunch of dried up um, molten rock surrounding those houses so something had, ha- had definitely happened there but it's just up to your imagination on what actually took place there and that's the kind of open world games that i like rather than rather than like ubisoft the game and Games like Spider Man, which is fun, but there's just too many icons, and they just kind of just tell you too much handholding and telling you what to do.
1: Mm. You know, The thing that really annoys me with stuff like Ubisoft and um, and Spider Man too, frankly, uh, as good as those games are in some ways, um, and uh, and I certainly, for example, love the Assassin's Creed series and always find time for them. But one thing that really annoys me is if I'm in the middle of doing something, to have more icons pop up and say, "Hey, go this way," yeah. "Hey, go this way," I. I get a bit of mild OCD when I'm playing games I like to actually finish you know as much as possible within an area so to constantly feel like I'm being pulled in different directions at once that comes across as really bad game design for me I prefer developers and whatever that 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 keep you focused on one thing at a time one objective um and as much as I have issues with Metro in the way that it uses open world to the detriment of the 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 backing of the book um at least metro understands that i'll give it that much um the open world is is designed in such a way that you can focus on one thing at a time which is which is good i prefer that uh, what about you trent we'll finish up give us um give us an example of a good open world in your view and what makes it good
4: Well, for what I was playing last year was probably the biggest time I was playing a lot of open-world games, and you're going to hate it, but the biggest game I was playing, which was an open-world game, was actually Spider-Man last year, and (laughs) (laughs) I finished it. Speak of the devil. And you're going to say, oh, but it's a Ubisoft... It's not a Ubisoft game, but it uses the Ubisoft formula in terms of there's lots of stuff around, you have to do this to do that, and it's a very collectifon, gamified experience, but how I found it was the story was very focused and it was pushing you towards the story often quite a lot. And when things were unlocked, say, you know, the backpacks or all those other boring little collectibles that had thrown in for every mission area, they were unlocked early. So you got them in the relatively the first few missions that You know, you could now do these bits. Um, When they were something late end game, they were more mission bases. So, like, when the bad guys came in to the world, there were now bad guy bases. Like, it seemed like the world was slowly growing as you were progressing through the game. So Saints Row, I believe, did that. Like, the third one sort of did that as you were playing along eventually the bad guys came in and suddenly there's bad guy bases everywhere and you're like well hey as a player to transverse through the open world it's suddenly a little bit harder to do this and so i like that sort of concept where the world was evolving as i was getting further along the missions and Spider-Man, the mission structure, seemed very linear, as I was saying, because it was forcing you in some ways to be like, oh, here's a new mission. Oh, the dialogue is about this new mission. Oh, I'm going to go towards this new mission. And as I was going towards this new mission, all all those little collectifon points you were saying you hated, they were all in the way. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll get the birds, which are like flying around. I'll get the backpack while I'm heading towards this mission. And suddenly I started racking up the... uh, Collector funds as I was going towards each mission. So I actually like Spider-Man from a um, it did the formula and it did the formula well though. And so that's why I'm going to say it was a good open world game, but it definitely isn't a perfect open world game where obviously you want one where it's a little bit more linear, it's a little bit more lived in, it's a little bit more expansive in terms of how you feel as you're just transverse in the world um but i think spider-man did that pretty well
1: yeah i mean i, I really liked spider-man's narrative itself i liked the core missions i like the set pieces when you were fighting particular bosses or uh where, whenever there was something designed around uh spider-man i liked it what i really couldn't stand was when you suddenly had to go off and do a four or five different stage uh, step mission to for those bloody science boxes that were scattered around um or yeah the backpacks i just felt like i had to go and pick everyone up as i was passing by it and that meant you had to clamber over buildings and it was all just to find a stupid backpack that was stuck somewhere or having to drop down to ground level to take photos of things which i didn't really care that much about anything that was designed around spider-man was great everything about the rest of it i I could pass on so anyway (laughs) it was it was a good game don't get me wrong but um Yeah, I I just have issues with open world games. Issues. I have lots of issues, but I have issues in particular with open world games. Um, Okay, we'll go to some music. And I don't know what music we'll use. Lee, pick something. (laughs) Put you on the spot. Pick a song, (sighs) any song, from a video game.
2: Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Castlevania Symphony of the Night, Bloody Tears. No. Okay. Dancing Um, Pails.
1: Okay, Castlevania, City of the Knights. No Tetris Extreme music? We already had Tetris, so we only allowed Tetris once. Alan would really kill me if I... Wait, what was it. the one that music? <laughs> um, so Castlevania music, we're gonna come back, and I don't know what we're gonna talk about. It's gonna be a surprise. You're gonna to have to stay tuned in. we're back everybody uh so when we were talking about nintendo way back when at the start of the podcast i missed a very important game that i should have mentioned and i feel really terrible for getting because it's chocobo mystery dungeon we got a release date for that and stuff and um i love chocobo dungeon i love it with an absolute passion it's going to be one of my highlights of the year because i played the the wii one the wii version for about 300 odd hours and this is This is just that we won, but HD and stuff. So definitely looking forward to it, but it's a good segue into what we'll talk about for the third section of the podcast this week. And that is character mascots because, um, there are quite a few games out there now, which, uh, have characters or launch characters that become so popular that they become kind of merchandising opportunities and almost more valuable than the game itself for the developer or publisher, uh, and the obvious. I mean, Chocobo's a good example of it, but the the most obvious and most famous example is, of course, uh, Mario um, from Nintendo. Mario now being more recognizable than Mickey Mouse and stuff. um, Obviously, Nintendo makes a lot of money, not just from Mario games, but from Mario, the character itself. And... It's an interesting one because, and I'll open this up to everybody else on the podcast to have their thoughts about, but one thing that is quite obvious to me is that Japanese developers and publishers are very good at creating these mascot characters and then selling them and making a lot of money from them beyond the actual games themselves or the anime or the film or whatever. Whereas I think that Western developers and publishers don't seem to be as tapped into that kind of resource. Um, they might make a little bit of money from merchandising and whatever, but it seems to be something that's not quite as much of a priority when going into game development. Um, I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts? I mean, do you think I'm right? Do you think I'm wrong? Uh,
2: well, the, the, the recent, most recent example to me, and I still haven't played through it, but was Mario, Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Um, and I thought that was a very odd combination of what I didn't even realize was a mascot. I had no idea what the, who the rabbits were. Um, and apparently they're not even particularly popular. They're mostly popular in, in France, to my knowledge. Um, but they're enemies from Rayman, Ubisoft's thing. So I, I just thought it was kind of strange that, that, that like, Nintendo would be willing to share their, their, their bread and butter, their OG IP, with Ubisoft's really kind of non, non, non-entity kind of side enemies. I, just, I thought that was a little strange. But it worked, as, at least as, as far as a game.
1: Well, the rabbits, I think, are fairly close to being a kind of major property, I guess. They did do a TV series around the rabbits, um, Ubisoft. Mm. And so they're, they're obviously mascots in their own right. And Ubisoft has worked hard to try and expand, I guess, their presence beyond video games. Um, but you are right. I mean, the weighting of the various uh, properties there is very much uh, heavily weighted towards Nintendo's characters being the more valuable ones um i guess that just shows that nintendo was willing to work with a a publisher and share its ip in order to to get a good quality game which we did out of it which was great but um yeah it's a good example of it uh i think another one would be smash brothers of course nintendo is very good at using its characters um for additional opportunities it always has been i mean mario kart was an early example of that smash brothers is another example of that that's been coming on strong in recent years it seems like the company makes these characters and whatever and then finds ways of continually reusing them which is it's got to be easier than new ip development um because if you can imagine if you had to make 300 different platformers and 300 different leads for platformers. Um, it, it's much easier just to have Mario be the popular one and, and just make a lot with him. So what about, I mean, what are your thoughts? Ginny? Do you in, especially in terms of, I guess, Western development, why do you think that there doesn't seem to be that same focus on merchandising or creating characters or creating mascots to then merchandise out?
0: I think the way that stuff is marketed fundamentally is different in the West than to in Asia. Like even with like, even you see the trend with like Chinese mobile games, for example, people market the characters as as the ones that are, I suppose, what they want fans, the path probably that they want fans to get attached to. Whereas I feel like in, in Western marketing games like Halo, even where we have a master character like Master Chief, um, you're selling the, you're selling the brand, you're selling, they're, they're selling the, they're selling the concept of the person that you want to be when you enjoy the game, if that makes sense. Like Western marketing is so tied into bullshit, like Doritos and Mountain Dew and, <laughs> and limited edition skulls and guns um, that I feel like they're, they're selling the experience of enjoying the game as opposed to selling you the game itself. Whereas I feel like Japanese marketing and Chinese marketing focusing on characters that appeal to people, they create long lasting bonds and these long lasting bonds are why people do dumb shit like by... A game like Rabbids and Mario, and I mean, I did it. I'm guilty of that. You say
4: Rabbits and Mario is a dumb idea. Just
0: listen, okay? was like, a dumb idea. <laughs> it just
4: happened to work out. So it's the it's know. the
0: fact it's the fact that it's a secondary mascot character from a game like it was like it was like Rayman's ex Mario. It was Rabbit's ex Mario, and <laughs> Rabbits weren't even major enemies in Rayman. They had one Rayman Rabbit's game, like so. Like what I'm trying to say is like what. Why rabbits work so well is just beyond me, but it's just the effervescent focus that rabbits and Mario had on marketing for the rabbits. Like the rabbits' Instagram, the rabbits' Twitter page, like they went all out and they tried to build a relationship with the mascot character, and that's why it worked. Like, we don't really. Well, you don't a lot need of... to
2: market Mario anymore.
0: Yeah, well, exactly. But like, that's the thing is like, even if, even if you hadn't, even if you had like a crossover that was like Rayman and Mario, you would you would want to to market at least one of them. Like the whole the whole reason why these crossovers, I think, from Japan do so well is because fans care about the character in the property, not just the property. It's no longer like, oh, tales, it's not like a tales of Chronicle, whatever, crossover with Final Fantasy. It's like, it would be like marketing a Noctis specific crossover in a different game. Yeah. And because people focus so hard on Noctis as the mascot from FF15, that would sell like fucking hotcakes because of that relationship so i think
1: yeah i I think you're right and i mean if you if you go to japan mascots are everywhere not just from video games everything has a mascot i mean their tax department has a mascot exactly Um, yeah individual towns have multiple mascots everything has a mascot and it works for them because people do feel that kind of connection with something if they think it's attractive or cute or whatever. Uh, A Mm -hmm. good example is that is Mm -hmm. Kumamoto Prefecture. When they had a huge earthquake a couple of years ago, um, they rolled out their character mascot, which you can check out on Google or whatever. His name's Kumamon and he's a bear. And he's an adorable bear and he earns millions of dollars for the prefecture to help with the earthquake recovery efforts just by being on, you know, kind of charity goods and uh, just by being out there in the public, kind of representing the the town or the prefecture. So that works. It definitely works. Um, and it works for commercial use as well. I mean, a good example of that. And I'm going to mention us, so deal with it. Hatsune Miku is a great example of that because, um, she was i mean that is just a bit of software really um miku is just a, a voice a instrument that just you type stuff into the computer it spits it out as um a voice but what they did is they gave it the the software a character and that character became so wildly popular now she does concerts and i have about 60 figures lying around the house <laughs> So it works. they get a lot of extra money. um they sold me the software, but more than that, they sold me a couple of thousand dollars worth of junk that I don't need um but so want it's so good. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that in the presence of my miku doll. Um, she's, not junk. <laughs> she's not junk, she's special. she's very special, but yeah that's that's the point i guess it's it's not just it, it earns the company more money, but it also creates the connection between person and, uh, and that product and then that person then becomes much more likely to pay attention to that product and buy into it more often mm. and yeah you go to japan and everything's colorful and mascots everywhere um, the trains have mascots the trains have mascots on the trains uh you come back to australia and everything looks so bland by comparison
4: it's so dull there's
1: no color in this country <laughs>
4: On the topic of like the Western, you were saying earlier the Western games, you are wondering why don't these get marketed so well with mascots is the biggest Western publisher I guess is Microsoft and their games are Halo and then you've got the Halo guy, um, Master Chief from that and then you've got uh, Fallout and then you've got the, um, the guy, the a funny-looking dude. Anyway, so, so the point the is... Fallout dude,
1: I will say, the Fallout dude <laughs> is actually a good example of, I guess, a Western publisher doing something with its mascot because that yeah. Fallout dude is everywhere and he's instantly recognisable and people buy into their games just for him. I know my wife picked up Fallout Shelter on uh, the mobile. She likes her mobile games and stuff. And she got into that game because the dude was charming and cute and interesting, um, which got her interest in that game in the massive pile of <laughs> mobile games that are free to play and stuff so my, it my point
4: wasn't how good the fallout dude is it was more the fact that western <clears> properties are more dude bro more shooty shooty more you know i guess more serious more experienced like that so Nothing is cute, nothing is for everyone. And I think that's the reason why Japanese mascots work so well is because they're tailored towards the, they're for everyone. Whereas, you know, the Western ones, there's a little bit of that barrier because um, the Fallout dude, um, you know, Master Chief, you know, they're all, um, they're all from, you know, M plus 15 sort of really high rated video games like they're shooty games rather than oh look at this cute little you know fluffy ball like a yoshi or a kirby or whatever like they're Mm. they're a fun little platformer which can be experienced from anyone who's like two or whatever which has like fond memories when they're like Twelve, which then goes, oh, I remember this, and then they start buying all of the toys themselves. And then, then we thirty. They're suddenly like, oh, hey, I remember this, and they're suddenly buying it again. Like, they it tracks their life where they've got memories of this fun little mascot, and that's why it sells so well to basically everyone. I mean, Disney, Disney does a good
1: job with that. you got to say mm. Disney. Yeah. Disney knows how to create its mascots, uh, and Disney knows how to make a lot of money from them. Um, and Disney certainly rolls them out. I mean, those porgs um, from bloody Star Wars, those were purely designed to sell junk post-movie post, post movie, uh, and people love them. So I think Disney's a, an exception, but I mean, that's a little bit beyond video games because Disney doesn't have too much to do directly with video games anymore.
2: Actually, uh, if you recall, and we didn't mention this in the direct, uh, but the Disney Sum Festival game is coming out sometime oh, yes. this year. Oh yes,
1: that looks so great! I can't wait to play that. That's so that's so cute. I actually played the Sumsun arcade game in Japan a couple of times, and it's a lot of fun. So
2: is it? It looked yeah. really goofy, but it it did make me because a lot of people have been saying that like that Sora could uh, this is a li- minor segue. I won't take too long on this, but that Sora could potentially be in Smash, right? Um, but I was I've always been saying like Disney is not going to do, do any kind of crossover like that. That's just not that's their IP. They own it. Um, but I don't know that that could be a possibility now.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I hope so. I, I actually hope the Simsoms actually get put into Smash. That would be great. Donald Duck Simsum Donald Donald Duck Simsum would actually rock Smash, and you all know it. Um on that note, we're gonna go to music and finish up. <laughs> Hopefully Nintendo actually paid attention to that, and we do get a Donald Duck Swimsum in Smash. That would be really great. I'd love for I'd love for a game developer to just listen to me once and their stuff in the game one day it's going to happen yeah one day it might happen um i keep trying but we'll go to some music and since brad didn't have too much to say in that one unfortunately brad you get to pick the song to finish us up
3: oh can i have the graveyard theme from ghouls and ghosts
1: Ooh, that's going back yeah we can do that graveyard theme ghouls and ghosts All right. Thanks very much for tuning in, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for being on the podcast as always. And we will be back next week, I imagine, um, unless something dramatic happens and the world blows up. And um, we will have more things to talk about. In the meantime, go play Tetris 99. It's that. (laughs)